everybody. I'm Sheree. And I'm Han. You're listening to It Just Got Real. So Han, tell us what got real for you this week. I had one of those amazing real moments where the thing you've been working on forever, that dream finally becomes a reality. Ooh. And that's because we shipped commercial music on trash. Wow. Which means that now when you make a video with our app, you can find all sorts of artists that are in the charts and it feels so good. That's incredible. So like songs that are like out here in the world that we love, we can now use for our trash videos. Absolutely. Will you still have all the cool like indie stuff? Yes. In fact, I'm so glad you asked. We've got all of the cool indie stuff alongside like the popular mainstream artists. Mm -hmm. And we're continuing our Trash for Artists program for independent artists so that they can continue to add their stuff alongside all the other people that you know and love. And it's really, really exciting because back to like 2017. Yeah. I was sitting in a cafe in San Francisco pitching a very early idea of trash to a venture capitalist. And this was someone that I knew, friends, respect, but I won't name names because of this story. I'm like, yeah, you know, at that point, I didn't know exactly how it was going to work, but I had this idea. And the very hazy idea was short form video is where it's at. People are going to want to go beyond just copycat memes and lip syncing on Musical.ly is what I was referencing at the time. I'm like, Mm -hmm. look at all this stuff that's happening in China. Look at these trends in Asia. I'm like, people want to make like their own mini music videos. Yeah. And these things aren't going to have like a plot or a story because people can't write. Writing is hard, right? Like, And who has time? Who has time? And most people suck at it. There's a reason Hollywood exists. Not that many people make it there. You know, like writing is a difficult skill. Right. People just want to capture a moment, you know, a glance, like a hair toss, like a dog being cute. And they want to set it to music and they want to feel great. Like they shot a moment of a music video because let's face it, we all believe that we could direct a music video. Like, wouldn't that be the coolest thing to do ever? Right. Or we're thinking in the back of our mind, my life is cool enough that some camera crew could follow me around and I would make the best reality TV show. Absolutely. Because we all grew up on that shit, right? From Jersey Shore to Paris Hilton to YouTube stars, like we are the generation that is all about that stuff. Share your life. Share your life and make it look cool. And make it look cool. Yep. So I'm pitching this to an investor and he says to me straight up, He's like, Hannah, I don't think that you should focus on music. I really don't think that music is a large enough market. I'm not even sure that mobile video is a large enough market, to be honest. Like people take a lot of photos, but they don't really make video. And like, I think that you're pigeonholing yourself by thinking that music is a broad enough market that it's going to be mass market for everybody. I think you should do other stuff. I think you should consider dialogue, maybe comedy. Like, what about DIY? Like, what about all the things on YouTube? And like, you know, there's some rationale to this. Like, there's some logic to this, right? He's not coming out of nowhere. But the fact that he just dismissed music, like, this is not a big enough market, is, of course, today absolutely hilarious because we have to talk about the tea around the TikTok drama later in this show. But anyway, I listened to him talk and I was like, this guy is wrong. Like music is how culture spreads. And especially with young people, like sure, comedy and DIY, these are important too. But the people that are good at comedy, it's so few. Like, again, there's a reason that like 
it's coveted to be on the cast of SNL. Like not everybody is good at making jokes. There are a lot of really bad comedians out there. Like anybody can set their life to music. That's something yeah. that's mass market enough that you don't even need to be good at video or comedy or writing or acting or anything. Anybody can shoot a little clip, set it to music and feel great. Right. And that's what I want to build. That's what I believe is coming next. Just couldn't convince this guy. He was like, stop working on music. You're going to waste your time. Plus, everybody knows it's impossible to license music. It's a fool's errand. It will cost you millions of dollars. You'll never be able to do it. It's totally crazy. You should go work on something else. Wow. So I walked out of that meeting thinking, this guy's wrong and I'm going to do it anyway. And that's when I decided I was going to play the long game on this. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I knew that it was going to require a lot of strategy, but I believed that it was going to be worth it in the end. And that's when I really started working on this problem. That was three years ago. Mm. Three years ago. Wow. Yeah. Where did your conviction come from that he was wrong? It honestly came from like, 10 years of working in music tech. So like really seeing the music industry from the inside and the out and just seeing how it carries culture. Like, yes, objectively he's correct because like if you look at the market cap or like the market share of like sports industry, billions and billions of dollars and you look at the music industry, yeah, music is smaller, you know, like these comparisons exist. But music is like a currency amongst young people. It's how memes spread. Yeah. It's how jokes form. It's where fashion comes from. It's how art travels. It's everything. But yeah. most importantly, it's how we connect with our emotions and share them back out with the world. Yeah. And I, I really firmly believe in that, that like music, it's an emotional totem for us to be able to create around that really nothing else has. Yeah. And it's this global language, kind of in the same way that sports is a global language, but music is something that we can express ourselves to in a way that really, like, a filter doesn't do it, a great jump cut doesn't do it, a cute outfit doesn't quite do it. Like, music carries our emotional culture into the world. Yeah. And that's what you need for video. And I had all this conviction around it from watching and working with teens and young adults pretty much my whole career in music and being mm -hmm. like, nope, I'm right. <laughs> also, I was working at Vine at the time. I had seen the rise of the comedy stars. I knew that it's really difficult to make great comedy. And like the people that had the top loops Vines, those were a very small percentage of the users, as you would expect compared to everybody else. I had seen musically scoop in and start eating some of Vine's lunch. And I saw these teenagers like lip syncing to videos in the early days before Musical.ly became TikTok. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the next thing. This is absolutely the next thing. And if you can't see it, then okay, Boomer, I'm going to do it anyway. Not okay, Boomer. That's so funny. <laughs> Only because I know this term from my 12-year-old and you said it. It's just like validation of all of your insights and experiences. Yeah, I'm really good at reading young adult culture. Like I, I'm that person that never grew up. I'm going to be 17 on the inside forever and ever. And, and it's a strength. It's not a weakness. It's a strength. So whatever. I walked out of that meeting. I'm like, I'm going to do this anyway. I had conviction. And so I started working on the problem. And so even before I'd formed the entity for the company, I was like, this is a deal breaker. Like, if I can't figure this out, it will never achieve mass market adoption. It doesn't matter how great the videos are. It doesn't mm. matter how great the editing is, the AI that we build, the team that I build. Like, if I can't figure out this problem, it's going to be 
it's a fragile point. So I started working on it immediately. And um, I remember making the rounds with like a bunch of people in my address book. You put out the calls and everybody kind of gives you the same feedback, which is like, oh, it's really hard. You know, oh God, you don't want to do licensing, like just stay away. And I'm like, no, I know it's a dragon, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, and for those listening, like music licensing is very difficult, but it is not impossible. And um, I think there's also kind of a myth around it, which is like, to do it, you need to have all of it. Mm. It's like an all or nothing thing. Like you have to license all the music, which I'm going to like go a little off piste here. But I, I reckon that, you know, there's certain people in the industry who would love for you to believe that because they want you to do like a major market deal. And that's not totally true. Like you don't have to, you can pick and choose. You just have to know where to go and how to get that done. And that requires a lot of nuance and a lot of knowledge about like where to step and where to not step and how to avoid the landmines. But it's Mm -hmm. totally possible. And it's a very legitimate strategy if you are considering trying to do this, which I hope you're not. But if you are, you should definitely email me, Han at Trash.app, and I will point you in the right direction. So (laughs) I ended up calling my old boss, Jim Lucchese, who was the CEO of the Equinest, who sold it to Spotify. Mm. And he put me in touch with a woman named Vicky Nauman, who ended up becoming our music advisor. And this is something that Vicky and I have been partnering on together now for like the last two years or two and a half years. So shout out to Vicky. She's amazing. And we broke it into steps and we really, we created a strategy where we were like, okay, first we're going to do this thing because it's low risk. It won't prevent us from going to market, which was one thing. Then we were like, if this thing doesn't work, then we'll try this other thing. There's some bumps in the roads. There's some things that work. There's some things that don't work. And eventually we got to the point where we wanted to be. And it's still not over yet. Like we're still bringing on partners and we're still signing more labels and publishers, But we like got to like a major milestone. And so one of the things that I was reflecting on seeing this in the app, because it was honestly, it was pretty anticlimactic. Like after working on something for so long, I was like, oh, cool. It it finally launched. That feels weird. (laughs) I can't wait to use it. (laughs) Like I've been working on this for like ever. (laughs) Like it, oh, I guess it's live now. It was a really weird feeling. Mm -hmm. It made me reflect on the long game and like, what is a long game? Like I think about that a lot and we talk about it a lot. And I think it's like a long game is something that you don't abandon. It's like a game that you are specifically playing. It's not like a hope and dream thing where you're like, oh, you know, one day I want to be a princess. It's like, no, I'm going to like get this done. It's just going to take a really long time to get there. And I know that I'm going into something that is a long game and I'm actually playing this and I'm working towards it. For those listening, it's super important about this. And it's interesting because I think one of the reasons my pivot has been hard for me is because when I was building the business at first, I knew that it was a long game. I knew disrupting travel in Africa was like a thing. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it was like, first build an Instagram, get people comfortable with the idea, then start taking them on trips, then build something so they can start doing themselves. Mm -hmm. Then like, and so I was looking at it that way and I felt like I was on third base Mm -hmm. and I was going to round the corner. And so I think the important thing about playing the long game and how you go from pie in the sky dream to thing you're working on that's going to take a long time, but you feel the inertia of it happening is this steps part. 
Yeah. It's the fact that you said tangible, actionable pieces that you could close the loop on that bring you further to the ultimate vision. And that's where you're playing the game Mm -hmm. and not constantly in a state of hoping or wishing or... Yeah, or trying to do it all at once, which is just impossible. Yeah. Like the first step we took with this was to make the decision like, don't try to get all the music at once. Like start by curating, which is what we did. And then we signed some deals with production libraries, which is relatively low cost and relatively effortless to do just to get into market and test our product and make sure that like this wasn't going to be a blocker. Yeah. And then from there, we decided, okay, we want to start signing independent artists because they have great music and we have a big network. There were some kinks along the way with that. Like the first time we tried it, the product we launched like totally didn't work. And then we had to redo it. We had a lot of ups and downs of how our music ingestion pipeline worked, our metadata, our tagging, like lots of things that I knew were going to suck along the way because I'd worked on them in the past and they're never easy. It's like approaching a search interface. Like I've Mm -hmm. worked on enough search projects now that I know search is always going to be a bitch. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter how you slice it. That thing is going to take longer than you thought. And it's going to suck. Yeah. And then we did the independent stuff. And then there was a big setback there because we're going to launch it at South by, but of course we couldn't because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're doing these steps, it was often frustrating for me sort of keying into something that you said, like it felt like you were going around third base and you had to change the plan, Mm -hmm. is that when you're working on the long game, often what you can currently present to the world doesn't actually look like your vision. It doesn't actually look like the long game yet. Facts. And it's so frustrating because you can see the delta between where we are today and where we're going to be in two years, but nobody else can see that. And they don't know that you're playing the long game. So they're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's cool. But like, it would be so much cooler if X, Y, Z. And you're like, yeah, I'm working on it. Right. Okay. Give me a minute. Right. Or like, yeah, thanks, Tips. You think I didn't think of that? Or like, that's been the that's been the plan from like day zero. Like, I say that kind of stuff to my team a lot. Like, this has always been the plan. We're going to do this from day one. Right. But we just need to get there. And a lot of the time, the steps along the way are, feel a lot less rewarding morning. They're less splashy. They're less cool. And I think it's really worth paying attention to that stuff because that's actually how you play the long game. That's how you get it done. And nothing is an overnight success. It takes months. It takes years. And then one day you get the thing done and everyone's like, holy shit, you did it. And that was also kind of funny because everybody was like, wow, that's major. You got that done. And I was like, yeah, I did. (laughs) You're like, I've been working on it. (laughs) I've been working on it. All those times when I said I was working on it, like, what did you think I was doing? Right. So it felt really rewarding to me to finally be able to say, like, I said I was going to do that thing. And I did that thing. And I pulled it off like two years later. And I actually did this like pretty flawlessly, all things considered. Mm -hmm. And um, every time you do something like that, it gives your investors more reasons to trust you and like realize that you're like a total badass operator, but it also gives you yourself more reasons to trust yourself. Mm. When you set a goal and you hold yourself accountable and then you hit it, it's a really good feeling. Like I can rely on me to get this kind of stuff done. Yeah. 
Even if it's the path is not obvious. Yeah, it might have not been obvious to other people or like along the way they thought you were doing something crazy because your path was like, we're going to go over this bridge and then take this rope swing. And I, I know this looks weird now, but we're going to climb the tree because promise me. <laughs> They're like, I love it. Okay, sure. But then, you know, one day you're like, ta-da, we're at the beach. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of really frustrating points with playing the long game, but the thing that just pays off in it, other than that strategic breaking it down into the small tangible steps, is not abandoning it. Mm. This total, like what my grandmother called stick to itness, like just mm. sticking to it. And that's what makes a long game a very different thing than a hope and a dream. Because a hope and a dream is like something you're wishing for and kind of, you know, want to land in your like. You want to sell a script to Hollywood, right? Great. Like, how are you going to get that done? Who are you yeah. pitching it to? How, how many people have you pitched it to this last week, that last year? Like, what tactics have you tried? How many different agents have you worked with? You know, break it down into the tangible steps to, like, make those kinds of, like, really hard things happen. Like, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do, but people do it. They get there. A little bit of luck. You got there. Yeah, I got there. So that was real. I love that. One, congratulations, because that's a hell of an accomplishment. And I think playing the long game, especially when some of the things you need to bring over to your side are not in your control, is something that is not even a little bit easy. And sort of knowing how to move and shake and negotiate, knowing who you need by your side doing it is also a big skill and talent. And so I think kudos to you for sort of sticking it to your vision having the conviction required to carry you through, but also seeing why it was successful. Because that means you can continue to do that. Because having a business period is the long game. Mm -hmm. My first record scratch moment of tonight also leans into, I mean, nobody played the long game like Like Ruth. Ruth. Yes. Like nobody played the long game like Ruth. That was the longest game. Like she is the OG of long game. She is. Like when you were telling your story, I couldn't help but start thinking about her because I was like, talk about the damn long game. I know. And now we're in the fuckery of this moment. To the very last day of her life. Right. She was still thinking about the long game. She was thinking beyond. Yeah. She was thinking beyond herself. And it's like, it's so sad. Friday was already a lot. And then when that happened, I was like, I can't. And then there was like an earthquake here. No, this week, this weekend did the most. I was like, what is happening? And then Mitch McConnell puts out this statement. And I'm like, why did you have to comment on what we're doing with the seat today? I know. Like today. It just said so much about who he is. Yeah. When I saw that. It was like, you couldn't even wait. Nope. 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 Nope, you couldn't. And now the future is just in kind of a terrifying state. But I will say Republicans have been playing the long game, though. Like their redistricting that they did Mm -hmm. to start getting their more seats um, to their whole pack the courts strategy. So, yeah, we're talking about the Supreme Court. But Donald Trump, I think, in his term has appointed more lifetime federal judges and like any of the past like four presidents or something whoa really yeah yeah, it's pretty so like wow we're talking about the long game but like it is the strategy that works 
for anybody if you apply it. And they've been doing that, not to most of our benefits in the United States, but that's their game. Mm -hmm. And whatever screaming and shouting thing we're going to do, like we totally have to step that shit up because they're playing the long game. Yeah. And so whatever short-term political incorrectness they have to take on to get where they're trying to go, they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that was a lot. It was a lot to process. It got cold in New York this weekend, too, and I was like... That's what I heard, that, like, fall came really early. Like, all of a sudden, it was cold. But it won't last. There's always, like, second summer, and then, like, hot again, and then, like, hell's doorstep, and then, like, first snow, and then, you know how Yeah, it's New weird. Like, that whole November to December <laughs> transition is always strange, and stranger because climate change, but, you know. yeah. I never had to wear so many different types of clothes as when I lived in New York. In the fall. All seasons. You need everything. You, you need, need every outfit. You need sandals, totally waterproof shoes. You need turtlenecks. That like go up to your knees for yes. that one of those days when you're stuck in Manhattan and all of a sudden there's like two feet of water like yep. in the street for no reason. Yep. You need like a sweater. You need a really warm parka. You need a waterproof windbreaker. And a mini skirt. And you need to look cute in all of it. It's true. That's New York. That's very New York. You need so many different clothes. And the worst part about it is you have so little space to store them in because your closet <laughs> is the size of like two microwaves. Like you're literally putting your clothes into those vacuum sealed packages yes. and like probably storing them in your freezer because the only other thing you have in there is right. like a bottle of gin and some ice cubes. Yep. So you're like, I don't know, this is a closet too, right? Just a cold closet. A cold closet. I can store my sweater in there. I mean, New York space is a whole other episode, but it is changing <laughs> because of COVID. I will say that. You can, yeah. you can definitely get a deal in New York City right now. You can get like a $6,000 apartment for like 4Gs. It's kind of wild. That's crazy. It is. It's like... That's crazy. It, I'm serious. Like, go on Street Easy for fun and just look at the apartment rent drops. That's insane. It is. It is. It is. It is. So if you're looking for space in New York so you don't have to put your clothes in the freezer, now's the time. <laughs> now is definitely the time. Also, I'm an advocate of keeping your clothes in the freezer because you know what your freezer also doesn't have? Moths. Ooh, facts. It's actually a pretty good spot. But what about like the wetness from when it freezes and then the ice melts? You put it in a vacuum seal bag. <laughs> You're right. So really, you can't go wrong. If you've learned nothing else on this podcast, it's that storing your clothes in perma-sealed, air-sealed bags in the freezer is great if you are space. <laughs> if you're closet space. Yeah, this is the thing. Somebody's going to make it into a company. Uh, so speaking of this weekend... Yeah, speaking of keeping things in places, this weekend was a lot. There was a lot that was happening in the news, and it just felt like a whole week, but, like, in one weekend. Like, on Monday yeah. today, I was like, I need, like, a weekend from my weekend that I just had. Like, yep. between the RBG news and the earthquake and then, like, the TikTok drama, and then on top of it all, like, turned out that my dog had fleas and so I had to do like oh. seven loads of laundry and like take him to the groomer and get oh, him a flea no. bath and he also had an accident on my carpet which is to be expected with a new pet so I was like going to Home Depot to rent like a carpet cleaning 
thing at the same time. Oh my I'm God. like trying to work on like really intense work stuff. And I've got like a bunch of really important business conversations on Monday. So I'm like literally like prepping my calls in the car while I'm like hauling around this carpet cleaner with a dog. And I'm just like, what is my life this weekend? <laughs> So you need a weekend from the weekend. I get it. (laughs) Googling, can humans get fleas? Meanwhile, making like really detailed meeting notes. I bet your your tabs on Chrome were probably like the most hilarious. Oh my God, girl. My notes app on my phone is just the funniest place because the amount of like context switching in there. Oh my gosh. I want to make like some art out of it one day, but. You would. (laughs) uh, In culture, one of the things that I did this weekend that was actually really cool is a friend of a friend curated an art show this weekend that was all outdoors and it was on the bank of the LA river and it was so cute. And like everyone just kind of clustered down there in the evening and it's like two miles long. So it's, it's better in the day if you want to walk further. Mm -hmm. And the art was like paste style on the big kind of like pillars that hold up the telephone wires or whatever on the riverbank. Okay. It's called From Dallas to Bound Bridge. And I think it's on for a while. So if you live in LA, you could go check it out. And uh, I'm laughing because I'm today years old finding out that there's a river in LA, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> had no clue and, this was a thing. Well, I mean, it looks kind of more like a canal. <laughs> You've seen it on film. Um, But it, it was just so cute. And it was like, it felt like we were all doing something vaguely naughty, like, because... I don't know. You're not really supposed to be around groups of people, but it was outside and so it was safe and everyone Mm -hmm. was wearing a mask and everyone was socially distancing and it was like really well organized. I just haven't done anything like that yet, but it's starting to feel a little bit safer and the COVID rates are going down in California. Thank God. Thank God. It felt like being 17 and like sneaking away to the like (laughs) the edge of like some farmer's field to like go drink with your friends. You know, it felt like that. It was like like high school naughty. And I'm like, I'm at an art show. (laughs) But I feel high school naughty about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it was really cute. The other thing that happened in culture this weekend, of course, is like finally this drama with TikTok has come to a <sighs> a moment. It's not over, but it's come to a moment. But is it not the most random end to it, though? It's not going to be the end. I don't think it's going to be the end, but it is random. I'm just like, how? What? I mean, it's just money. Like, you know, Oracle's going to IPO it now. and It's ridiculous. What's interesting about it is, like, somebody said to me, he was like, what is with these short form video apps? Like, why is there so much drama? Like, with Vine, with like, even kind of with the rise of Byte, with like Musical.ly turning into TikTok. And like, now what's going on with TikTok? Like, why are all these short form video apps so fraught? And here's my hot take. I think it's because nerds never got to be in the spotlight of like, the cute celebrity shit Mm. like that's not their thing and like every tech person kind of carries a bit of that chip on their shoulder like they were the nerd in high school they were playing with computers you know they weren't Mm -hmm. they weren't going to dances and like i think it's just kind of rare that technology winds up creating something that is like fueling the next generation of celebrities and Mm -hmm. there's like this real limelight like this is big time stuff and it's so rare that they get to be adjacent to that culture is just like a moth to the light for them. It's like so 
amazing and interesting and cool and sexy and has to be in the news every day and everybody wants a piece of it. Let's face it, most of the people in tech, they don't get to work on that kind of stuff. They don't get to like go to cool music parties. They don't get to go to red carpet events. They're not going to like, that's not part of this world. This world is like you sit in front of your computer and you crank it out and you're probably wearing the same clothes every day and nobody really cares that much. And like you work on a SaaS product or something. It's not sexy. There's a lot of money in it, but it is not sexy. You don't get that like celebrity glow in tech. Yeah, it's true. I know that's my hot take. No, I think think it's accurate. I also think the reason there's so much drama is that because when they're successful, they have the attention of millions and millions and millions of people in a way that's borderline addictive. Yeah. I think power and control begin to show up as like major dynamics when you look at these things. Yeah. And another thing actually uh, that I'll say about like having the attention of millions of people is that in the same way that Twitter's like rife with gossip and like journalists in particular talking about this stuff. Yeah. You have to look at the user base. Like Twitter's user base, like their hardcore users are journalists. So like naturally they're going to have problems around journalists leaking things, which happens all the time on Twitter. Like they can never keep a secret about anything going on with their company. It always, always gets leaked. Yeah, it does. And um, I think with a company like TikTok or Vine, what I noticed from working at Vine is that you're basically dealing with a bunch of drama queens. Everybody on the platform loves drama. That's how you get successful. That is literally who they are. Like they're actors, they're comedians, they're very emotional people. Their lives are high drama. They're dating this person and that happens and they're making vines about it. Like it's like high school musical, you know? So yeah. you put drama in the hands of those people and they're going to make more drama with it and they're going to blow it out even bigger. Yeah. And then all of their audiences are going to like, and so it's just like this huge snowball that happens. Yeah. I think we've nailed it. If anyone, you know, wants to cover our Yeah, if anybody piece. wants me to write an op-ed, I'm here for it. <laughs> you know, I'm team op-eds. Now, now that I have this op-ed in vogue, I'm like, when's my next one? <laughs> you want to wrap us up with some takeaways? Let's wrap us up. So I think the first one is to like know when you're playing a long game, that a long game is not a dream. It's not a fantasy. It's really a thing that you're committing to and you are going to build a strategy to keep your eye on that prize. And I loved how you showed the strategy being defined by these big things you were moving, like moving the ball down the field. It was so good. You're moving it down the field. And when you're doing it, I think the second thing is, is like, no, that this is going to be so frustrating. Like you are going to kind of hate your life while you're doing it a little bit. But Remember, you're playing the long game. And so you should just like expect it to suck for a while. Like you have to kind of accept a little bit of that frustration that like this is natural and it comes with it and like keep your eye focused on the long game that you're playing and and recognize that the delta between how you want things to be and how they are today is going to be a very wide gap for a very long time. And there's, it's, you're not going to see relief with that gap for many years, probably. Yeah. And then I think the last thing is just like, obviously have a strategy, but know also that like the steps to get there are not going to be linear. Yeah. The strategy is going to have to shift consistently over time because when you're playing the long game, you're talking about multiple years long project, which means 
things are inevitably going to change. And like what your strategy was when you started three years ago is not going to look the same today. So there's a lot of adaption that comes along with playing the long game and like constant reevaluation. Is the strategy still the right one? Do I need to make a pivot? Can I still get to my long game if we have to take a little detour here? Yeah. And like just knowing that that's going to be a part of it. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's the only way to achieve things some things like you can eke out, but like major, major category differentiating sort of things, I think take time. And I think the kind of commitment required is exactly what you're talking about. I also think it's really funny that on our very women-led show, we've basically been using baseball analogies for the past hour. So I'm just saying we're dynamic like that. And so we, too, can speak in sports analogies to describe business problems. I just think it was hilarious. I'm like, we've dribbled the ball down the court. We've circled the home plate. Who knew we were these people, Hannah? Yeah, look what happens when you're women doing business in a man's world. You soon, too, will be making baseball analogies. I don't know. I'd be curious what other kind of sort of uh, analogies people would have used to describe this. But I guess it's essentially called the long game. So yeah. on that note, guys... We're going to wrap it up. Otherwise, who knows what sport we'll be uh, comparing our lives to next. Be sure to tune in next Thursday. We are going to have a fairly special announcement next Thursday. So definitely don't miss out on episode 20. That's going to be coming to all of your podcast players next Thursday. And as usual, please hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at GotRealPod. We would love to hear from you and answer your questions. And I am happy to give out tips on how to license commercial music for your startup. We out. Bye, everyone.